Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. God said, Now we will make humans, and they will be like us. We will let them rule the fish, the birds, and all other living creatures. So God created humans to be like Himself. He made men and women. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, New Contemporary Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're excited to be with you as we continue our exploration of how Jesus is not only the Lord of life, but also the Lord of logic. And that's what we've entitled this series, The Lord of Logic. We want to do several things during this series, but one of our primary goals is to take a close look at several of the objections that are commonly lodged against God's existence. Objections such as that since we cannot see or hear or touch God, that we don't have any real evidence that God actually exists. To help us continue this discussion, today we have R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books, in the studio. R.D., what do you have planned for us today? Well, for anyone who was with us on our first two episodes of this Lord of Logic series, They know that we've been spending some time thinking about thinking. We're trying to understand some things about thinking that will help us think more clearly, especially when it comes to the really big questions, the questions about whether God does exist. Is the Bible the Word of God? Is there an eternity that exists after we leave this earth? The really big questions. And there's a lot of very bad thinking that goes around in our culture today about those questions. So we've been spending some time in our first two episodes thinking about thinking. And today I kind of want to conclude our discussion about thinking about thinking so that in our next episode we can start having a discussion about specific objections to the existence of God. So just as a brief review... Let's remind the listeners that in our opening episode of this series, we made the observation that there are some statements or thoughts that seem, at least on first glance, to be very deep or profound. But these statements, when you look at them, actually turn out to be either meaningless or outright self-defeating. Now, one example of a statement that we frequently have given that is a self-defeating statement is the statement, There is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, at first blush, when you hear that statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth, that sounds pretty profound. And in fact, if you ask Americans, more than 50% of Americans, they agree with the statement that there is no such thing as absolute truth. But if there is no such thing as absolute truth, then the statement cannot itself be true. The statement defeats itself. We also noted that there are some propositions or ideas that cannot possibly be false. We said that one way to think of these kinds of ideas is that they are irresistibly true or affirmed in dissent. 
These are ideas, statements, or propositions that cannot possibly be false. For instance, the statement, human beings use language to communicate, cannot be false. Because the moment someone begins to disagree with the statement, they will be using some form of language to communicate their disagreement. Or, as you term it, they are affirming the truth of the statement in their dissent with the statement. And we want to remind people that in the statement, we're not saying what kind of language is being used to communicate. It could be written, spoken, or even sign language. But all humans use language to communicate. Also, the statement does not say that humans use only language to communicate. We're fully aware that people use all kinds of nonverbal cues and signals in their interactions with others. But the simple statement, human beings use language to communicate, must be true because to express disagreement would require the use of language as part of making an intelligent dissent. Right. And I think it's worthy to note that even though we've used the example, there is no such thing as absolute truth on many occasions, I would not want our audience to get the idea that that is the only self-defeating statement that there is. For instance, the statement, the only things we know to be true are those that can be proven scientifically, is also self-defeating, because there's no way to prove the statement scientifically. Another example is a statement we heard recently when someone told us, quote, there is no way to know anything with certainty, unquote. Well, if that statement were true, then we couldn't place any certainty in the statement itself. The point is that we want listeners to be aware that more often than you might think, people will use self-defeating statements when they began proclaiming the reasons they don't believe in the existence of God. People should be aware of this problem. The first way to test an argument is by the propositions contained within the argument. I agree. So we've covered the distinction now between ideas, statements, or propositions that are self-defeating versus those that are affirmed in dissent. Affirmed in dissent, of course, meaning that that statement cannot possibly be false because you have to use the premise in that statement in order to disagree with that statement. Now, in our second episode, we built on those initial thoughts, and to do that, we examined a proposition that is irresistibly true. Now, just for convenience sake, we called this idea the Sarfati fiero maxim. We named it after Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, who is the lead scientist for Creation Ministries International, and he is also the author of a number of books that deal with the scientific problems associated with the molecules-to-men notion of evolution. So in honor of Dr. Sarfati, we gave this maxim the name, the Sarfati fiero maxim. I'm obviously the fiero in the maxim. So the Sarfati fiero maxim goes like this. All denials that intelligence was necessary for the formation of life proceed from an unintelligent point of origin. I don't want to be too laborious about this, but I just want to make sure that the audience understands exactly what that maxim says. All denials that intelligence was necessary for the formation of life proceed from an unintelligent point of origin. So we're calling that the Sarfati fiero maxim. Well, let's unpack that thought for a bit. The Sarfati Fierro maxim is saying that if someone denies that intelligence was involved in the creation of life, then anyone making that denial would have to admit their denial has a foundation that is unintelligent. In other words, their denial lacks an intelligent or reasonable starting point. 
because if there was no intelligence involved in the creation of the first life form, and all subsequent life forms evolved from that first molecule, then it's hard to see at what point intelligence spontaneously became an attribute of any of the products of that process. Do I have that right? Right. You know, the most common view, certainly the view that's taught in most biology classrooms around our country and around the world today, is that somehow, somewhere in the distant past, life arose by the random collision or the random chaotic interaction of molecules and atoms. Now, when this collision occurred, how it occurred, all those sorts of things, those are undefined. But that's the most common proposition that's taught in biology classrooms today, that life arose from inanimate particles by the random and chaotic collision of some of these particles in the distant past. Well, let's just assume that somehow life did arise by the random collision of molecules. Now, we're not agreeing with that statement. We don't think that that statement is true. As a matter of fact, we know that it's not true. But just for the sake of argumentation, let's just assume that life did somehow arise by the random collision of molecules in some distant past. Obviously, if life arose this way, then you must recognize that life arose completely without the involvement of any form of a superintending intelligence. In other words, if life arose chaotically and randomly, there was no intelligence involved in directing the activity that produced life. So the Sarfati-Fierro maxim is a very concise way of pointing out that one inescapable conclusion of this basic proposition that all life forms are randomly derived from the undirection of physics and chemistry. If all life arose because of the undirected action of physics and chemistry, if intelligence was not involved in the creation of life, then all denials that intelligence was necessary for the formation of life proceed from this original, random, chaotic, undirected, and unintelligent point of origin. So in effect, what you have is intelligence is derived from the original unintelligent collision of those molecules. Now, when you state the problem this way, you begin to see immediately that there is a difficulty, a huge difficulty, an insuperable difficulty, with the whole notion that life had an unintelligent origin. Well, that was what we covered in week two of our Lord of Logic series. This week, we want to build on the foundation that we made in our first two episodes by taking a look at another idea that is also irresistibly true. We're calling this idea the Connor Maxim and Corollary. And you're calling this the Connor Maxim and Corollary because this idea was inspired by your good friend Ken Connor, who has been a guest on Anchored by Truth. Ken is an immensely successful trial lawyer with over 40 years of practice, and so you think it's fair to say Ken has a very extensive and practical understanding of using evidence in the presentation of a line of advocacy. Exactly. Now, before we continue, I want to recognize that I know that sometimes these subjects can be a little difficult to follow, but I think it's really important for people to begin to digest ideas like these because these ideas will help parents or grandparents or teachers or youth group leaders, will help mature believers help younger believers understand that there is no need to accept the world's characterization of the Christian faith. 
Because the world likes to characterize the Christian faith as somehow being a leap into a dark abyss of unreason. And when we leap into that dark abyss of unreason, we have to leave our brains and minds behind. Well, both the Sarfati Fierro maxim and the Connor maxim are very straightforward statements about truth that help to combat the notion that faith and reason are somehow opposed to one another. Faith and reason are not opposed to one another. Faith and reason can exist peacefully in this world, and in fact, faith and reason are both necessary to have a coherent worldview. And that's one of the reasons we host Anchored by Truth episodes as a podcast, in addition to broadcasting them. That way, listeners can review them for free as many times as they want. We talk frequently on Anchored by Truth that somehow in the last several decades in America, and in the West generally, it has become common to juxtaposition faith and reason. This has been particularly egregious in academia. People will say things like, You have your faith, but I believe in reason. This makes it sound like people have to choose between faith and reason to live coherent lives. But this is a false dichotomy. Genuine, saving faith is not opposed to reason or logic. Genuine, saving faith is entirely consistent with the proper exercise of logic, reason, and evidence. Demonstrating that logic and reason can actually help you strengthen your faith is the biggest reason that we wanted to do this Lord of Logic series. Yes. So let's get to the Connor Maxim and Corollary. What does it say? Well, the Connor Maxim says, that which is logically true cannot be refuted. And then we have a corollary to the Connor Maxim, which says, evidence purportedly disproving that which is logically true is unreliable or misunderstood or both. So again, the Connor Maxim says, that which is logically true cannot be refuted. And the corollary to that says, any evidence which purportedly disproves something that is logically true, that evidence is either unreliable or misunderstood or both. So the Connor Maximum Corollary are propositions that pertain to the use of evidence when we are looking for truth. Let's remember that statements such as God exists or the statement God doesn't exist or the statement, life arose by the random collision of atoms, or the statement, God created all life purposefully. Those are all statements about reality. Not just those statements, but an innumerable number of others are either true or false, because truth is that which corresponds to reality. So the point of all this is to say that we need to be able to think clearly when we are trying to sort between competing truth claims in order to determine whether those truth claims are in fact reliable. I mean, it's pretty important if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you have cancer. Well, if you hear the doctor say that, you're immediately going to become very depressed and discouraged. Then if the next breath, the doctor says, oh, I'm just joking. It's not really true. You don't have cancer. Well, at that point, you're going to be pretty frustrated because you want to know what is the truth. You want to know what is corresponding to your reality. So that same thing is true of the big statements, the grand statement, God exists or God doesn't exist. We need to be able to think clearly about those kinds of statements because the truth, or if a statement's false, is awfully important to us. And it's not just important to us on this earth, but it's important to us for all eternity. 
And as we've covered many times on Anchored by Truth, we strongly believe that the best way to sort among competing truth claims is by applying logic and reason to evidence. Appropriate evidence is crucial for anyone to determine the truth. And obviously, the acquisition and application of evidence is a process that we apply every day in our own lives, not to mention the process is a very formalized into rules of evidence that are used in courtrooms to make decisions. Right. Again, the Connor maxim is a very basic idea. It simply says that if an idea or proposition is logically true, no amount of evidence can overturn that truth such as the truth that's contained in the Sarfati Fierro maxim, that any objections to the fact that intelligence was involved in the formation of life would mean that the objection ultimately traces back to an unintelligent foundation. Yes. The Sarfati Fierro maxim expresses a truth that is logically inescapable. So when people subscribe to the conventional evolutionary hypothesis, they're putting themselves in a box that's pretty hard to get out of. The people who believe in that believe that their support of evolution is intelligently grounded. But those people do not have a foundation for explaining the intelligence that they believe they possess. If all life arose random and chaotically, ultimately all living creatures, including human beings, would be the products of randomness and chaos. That would make, as we've said, intelligence the product of unintelligent physical or chemical or electrical activity. And because this is a necessary, logical conclusion, no amount of evidence that somehow ever-increasing neuroconnectivity can overcome the fundamental conclusion. But even if evidence can't overcome the validity of the Sarfati Fierro maxim, You don't deny that evidence is still extremely important as we weigh various truth contentions for the existence of God or the origin of life. No, of course not. It's absolutely vital to appropriately acquire and apply evidence in order to be able to accurately judge among competing truth claims. Our goal should always be to determine the truth. Now, unfortunately, in our day and age, truth is often subordinated to demands that we accept the conventional determination of certain people. And I don't want to be unduly pejorative, but let's face it, in our society today, there are a lot of people demanding that we accept certain statements without criticism or without objection. So that should not be our goal. We have to determine what's true. And so it's absolutely vital in our determination of truth that we be able to appropriately acquire and apply evidence. So some of these claims that filter around, they just don't make sense when you examine them closely. And the use of evidence is one way of us being able to determine that those statements don't make sense. Like the claim that God did not create life, that life somehow arose spontaneously by the random collision of a group of atoms in the distant past. Exactly. The complexity of living entities, including what we would call the simplest forms of life, is one of the essential bits of evidence that tell us that life could not arise haphazardly. The simplest bacterial cell contains at least 100 billion atoms, and the DNA in those cells contains over 500,000 base pairs of information. So even if somehow all the requisite chemicals, the oxygen, the hydrogen, the carbon, the nitrogen, etc., 
even if all those chemicals were somehow all present at just the right time and just the right amounts in an ocean of prebiotic organic material, the presence of those chemicals still wouldn't create life. Life, all life, doesn't just depend on matter and energy, but also on information. That's why it's called the genetic code. DNA is not just some long string of molecules strung together. DNA is actually a highly compressed information storage system. In fact, it's an information storage system more complicated than anyone that's present in the non-living world, including those created by man. So all of these facts are bits of evidence that apply to the question of how life came into existence. So the complexity of life is evidence that life could not have had an unintelligent point of origin. The presence of these facts is very important, but as important as all these facts are, they still wouldn't set aside the fundamental logical implications of the proposition that life either had an intelligent or an unintelligent point of origin. And in fact, the problems that arise if God didn't create life, that life arose from undirected, unintelligent, random activity, just begin with the issue of intelligence. For instance, if a good God didn't create man to be a being with a moral and ethical nature, then there is no good explanation for differentiating between good and evil or right and wrong. Right. And the Connor maxim and corollary make it clear that these problems cannot be resolved simply by trying to find and apply evidence that helps us explain how living creatures, including man, operate. The Connor maxim helps us understand the roles that evidence can or cannot play in arriving at reasonable conclusions. Well, let's unpack that thought for a bit. The Connor maxim is helping us to understand that the boundaries that are appropriate when we are using evidence to reach conclusions. Evidence is kind of like water. When water is in its appropriate place, it is a source of life. Properly channeled, water helps grow crops improve sanitation, and can even create electricity. But when water escapes its boundaries, like from an overflowing tub or a flooded river, it becomes dangerous. Evidence is like that. We need evidence to build a foundation upon which to frame our understanding of life and the created order. But evidence can become a distraction also. Some evidence sheds light on a particular question, such as the question of origins. But the misuse of evidence can actually obscure our ability to reach supportable conclusions. Do I have that right? Exactly. The unparalleled complexity of living creatures is evidence that there is a sharp line of demarcation between the animate world and the inanimate world. The most complicated inanimate structures, such as crystal latticeworks, pale in complexity when compared to the simplest living organism. Living creatures not only display chemical and electrical activity, but also purpose and intention, and in higher order creatures, personality. And human beings display the ability to handle abstract concepts, comprehend ethics and morality, and create their own creations that go beyond just simple biological urges. This is evidence that leads us to conclude that physics and chemistry alone cannot explain the origin of life. 
So what the Connor maxim is really doing is helping ensure a proper understanding and application of evidence. If God, an intelligent, purposeful being, created life, then we have an excellent reason for believing that we can possess those qualities. But if life emerged gratuitously out of some chaotic glob of organic muck, then any notion, including the notion that life emerged gratuitously, traces its origin back to the muck, literally. And no amount of evidence, regardless of how informative it may be about living creatures, including humans, can set this basic fact aside. This is a good reminder that just because we may possess information about how something operates, it does not tell us everything we need to know about how it originated. Precisely. Now again, I know that this whole line of reasoning, this whole business about thinking about thinking, can seem pretty abstract. And I know a lot of people are going to wonder, why does it matter? I mean, after all, we can live our lives, we can go to our jobs, we can prepare meals, go to the store, we can enjoy sports or recreation, entertainment. We can do all the things that we do in our everyday lives and never have to deal with these kinds of questions. But especially for Christians, we should be keenly aware that we live on this earth for a matter of decades and maybe in rare cases a little more than a century. But we're going to live in heaven for an eternity. And we want our families and friends, our kids, we want everybody that we know to be with us in that eternity. Because we will all exist and live for an eternity. It's just a question of whether that eternity is going to be in heaven or in hell. So, especially as Christians, our focus needs to remain on how we're going to help our loved ones, families, friends, and others understand that distinction, that very profound and graphic distinction. You know, for the last couple of centuries, there has been a concerted attack on the most foundational notion in the Bible, and that is that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. Really, ever since the late 18th century, there has been a very concerted attack by people who call themselves scientists, by philosophers, by even some theologians, liberal theologians, who have attacked the notion that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And the bad news is that these attacks have had an effect. You know, when they dispensed with God, they dispossessed countless people of having a future in heaven. So if we're going to reclaim that eternal future of heaven for our kids, and if we're going to reclaim the future of our country as a country that's grounded on transcendent ethical and moral principles, we have to begin to equip our kids, we have to be able to equip our fellow citizens with the tools that will help them break through this huge volume of disinformation that is going to come at them throughout their entire lives. So I know that these subjects can seem very abstract and disconnected from what we do in our everyday lives, but the truth of the matter is there is nothing more practical than helping people learn how to be able to think about all this information that just constantly assaults us every day of our life because so much of that information is trying to lead us down a very dangerous path. Well, this sounds like a great time to pray. Today, for our closing prayer, how about if we pray for the restoration of the worship of the one true God throughout our land and the world? Prayer for restoration of the worship of the one true God. Lord of destiny, God of holiness, you ordained the fate of men and nations before the cornerstone of creation was laid. 
You are blameless in all your acts and commands, and therefore what you ordain must come to pass. Who among men can resist your will? What you sovereignly declare will happen. We rejoice that our hope rests in the power and mercy of an almighty God and not in lesser beings. Lord, you know far better than we the blight that has come upon this nation. We have turned from honoring your name and seeking your will to self-exaltation and celebrating our rebellion. We cannot imagine how this must grieve you and give you justifiable cause for rebuke and reproof. We pray that you would raise up in our midst godly men and women who will be the leaders and teachers in a national renewal. We know that you have preserved a faithful remnant for yourself because you have assured us that the gates of hell could not prevail against your church. We praise you that Christ Jesus himself makes intercession for us while he sits at your right hand. We praise him and offer this and all prayers in his holy name. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.